You are listening to a Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship audio presentation. Please be seated. Turn again to Psalm 119, verse 17. This is the third section here in Psalm 119, and they're each in eight verses, and we're not going to go into all of this. We could go so much deeper in Psalm 119, but in your studies at home, as you're reading through Scripture, always look for little things that can, can help you tie all the Scripture together better, and Psalm 119 does a really good job of that. Each, there's 22 sections, and each verse is eight. Eight verses in each section. You can think of that as the octave, as an octave. Like on the piano, you've got eight different keys in an octave. And they all play a melody through Psalm 119. And you can transfer notes back and forth between each section. It's very beautiful. You can watch, if you go through and read just the first three sections, go through the second verse and look at the second verse and the other two octaves, the preceding octaves. Fourth verse, look at the fourth verse and the other preceding octaves. And it all ties together and it all meshes into a beautiful hymn there, a beautiful song. So I encourage you just to do that in your private time. But know that this is a, this is not, we're taking the third section today, but it's not something that stands alone by itself. It definitely ties in with what is before it and certainly what will come after it as well. I'm going to read this one more time out of the English Standard Version and then we will dive into this. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. The goal this morning would just be to go verse by verse and extrapolate different truths through each verse. They do tie together, and we'll get to that at the very end. And we're going to go all through Scripture. We're going to flip back and forth through Scripture so that you can understand what is being said here. It's a beautiful thing if you can just have the opportunity to study Psalm 119. Read it over and over and over. And the more you read it, the more it just seems to open. And There's such a a depth there. Martin Luther Loved preaching from the Psalms and he loved preaching from Romans. Romans gave him this grip, this intensity, this bigness of the God that we serve. And Psalm 119 gave him this beauty and this worship and the creator. There's this balance there that Martin Luther was able to get. Psalm 119 certainly has that for us. We're going to take 17 through 24. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep your word. Verse 17. Now in this section... Probably the most well-known verse in this section is verse 18. And it's there for a reason and we're going to get to it. But it has to be set up with verse 17. Otherwise it really doesn't make much sense. And I think verse 17 is really the message that we're to get out of, uh, out of this section. 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. What essentially the psalmist is asking for is grace. God, give me grace and give it to me in abundance. There's that word bountiful. This overflowing nature is what you could think of when you think of the word bountiful. It's been said, Lord, give me grace in abundance or don't give it to me at all. Because in the middle, it doesn't do me any good. You've got to have all of God's grace. And that is, that is the, the very nature of our existence. We only exist because of God's grace. There's a balance here, and and we're going to get to this. There's a balance between God's grace, God's holiness. I'm not saying go all one way, but you've got to understand that the the very ability that you have 
to have your eyes physically fixed upon the words of this page are by the grace of God. God removes his grace one inch from your life, you're dead. His grace allows you to breathe. It is there for a reason. You've been saved by it. Your very existence is there. And Psalms, Psalm, this section understands this. Psalms understands this. I've got to start out asking God, give me grace. Give me grace just to understand what you're going to lay before me. Deal bountifully with your servant. John MacArthur's written a book called The Gospel According to Jesus. And that book was written in contrast to about 20, 25 years ago, what was happening in Dallas Theological and Grace Theological Seminaries. And it's still happening today, and it's actually getting bigger. And it's sort of, the, it was at that time, the beginning, kind of the grace movement. Give me all of God, give me all of Jesus Christ with this grace, but we'll leave the servant part, we'll leave the service part aside. I want to have Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I don't want to have him as my Lord. And there's the balance here of where this psalmist is beginning to ask for. Lord, give me grace as your servant. Give me the grace that I might make you my Lord. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. This word keep in the Hebrew doesn't... um, have the same connotations that we would think. When we say keep, we kind of think, you know, it's going to be mine. I'm going to go out and grab something and I'm going to keep it close to myself. This is more of a guard. God, I want to use your word to guard my life. And so it's a little bit of a different context to the way we're asking here. Deal bountifully, Lord, give me grace with your servant that I may serve you more, that I may live and keep your word, that I may use your word to guard me. How does this tie into verse 18? Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. A great prayer. Something I think every saint should pray when they come to their their morning devotions. This would be something that I think should be in every person's prayer as you come to devotions. Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Let's look at that word open. Let's go to uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29 verse 30. The Bible speaks from the beginning to the end using eyes, the eyesight, opening, closing as a metaphor for the gospel. We see it 29 verse 30. There's not a 30 in 29. There should be. No. How about verse 4? That's better. Let me start with verse 2. I'll settle in on a text here in just a minute. Deuteronomy 29 verse 2. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. I think sometimes when we, just a little context here. I think sometimes when when we're thinking about what happened in the land of Egypt when the Israelites came out, and we kind of get this, this line of, in our, in our thinking of, you know, when Christ brought in the, when God brought in the darkness, and the darkness was one of the plagues, and they couldn't see anything, but there was a line. And Israel was in light, and the, the Egyptians were in the dark. And we kind of think, well, there was this, there was this line the whole time. There was kind of this invisible pain. They kind of existed over here and did their thing, and they weren't really a part of what was going on. No, they were definitely a part of what was going on. They could see everything that was happening. 
think, get a picture in your mind. You, you know, we have the locusts that are coming in. It's just this black swarm across the whole land, the east there. Uh, the east that's coming out of this black swarm, flying through the air of this locust. The Israelites saw that as well. They could see what God is doing. This is what is, Moses is reminding of them. of. Verse 4. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40, day, 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread and you have not drunk wine or strong drink that you may know that I am the Lord your God. There's this prayer back in Psalm 119 verse 18. Open my eyes. Because you can see physically all you want to see of God's wondrous works. But until God opens your eyes, you won't see them. They won't affect you. They won't grab you and change you. Let's keep going in scripture. Matthew 13. A couple more verses talking about this scene. Matthew 13. Christ is speaking to the disciples here about the purpose of the parables. Verse 11. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. Nor do, they, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, your ears, for they hear. And God... Christ is the one who has opened their ears and their eyes. It's the only way possible for us to understand what God is saying in Scripture. That's why the psalmist in verse 17 starts out by asking, God, give me grace. Because without that grace, your eyes cannot be opened. And we have to pray the same thing now. It's very easy, especially in the culture we live in today, to dull our mind. God has got to open our eyes so that we can truly see. Let's keep going. Mark 8. Here's a physical healing of the eyes. Mark 8, verse 22. This would be the, the parallel of what Christ can do for us, what God does for us spiritually. And they came to Bethsaida, verse 22, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. 25. Then Jesus laid his hand, hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. A physical healing, akin to the spiritual healing that we ask for. Acts 9. Another physical healing. I love the picture here, though, that we can have. This is of Saul becoming Paul, but Saul at the moment in his conversion. Acts 9, verse 15. 
God is speaking to Ananias here. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he, meaning Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. That's exactly what we're praying for to happen to us spiritually. The eyes of our hearts, scales to fall off, the hardness to fall off as Mr. Perslovsky spoke about in the first service. Lord, take that hardness, let it fall that I might behold and see. One last one, Ephesians 1. One last passage here on this opening of our eyes. Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, who believe, according to the working of his great might." That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And it just keeps going. It's one long sentence of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. God, would you open their eyes that may understand the glorious inheritance that they have. So we're praying, Lord, give me grace that we may serve you, that we may guard our way. That we may open, that you might open our eyes, that we might see your way, see your law, that I may behold. One quick note: John Piper says, "Beholding, be, beholding is becoming." So there's this picture. Let's go to Second Corinthians. There's this picture of looking into a mirror. We see it throughout Scripture, and as we're looking in, we're seeing who we truly are, and we're 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 seeing our, our very nature. But the desire is, let's look into the Word of Truth, Scripture that mirror there, and see who Christ is, and then we might become more like him. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, for one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're asking grace, God, through your spirit, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And certainly there are wondrous things. Now, here's a physical picture I want you to get in your mind. You go to the Grand Canyon. And you've, you've, you've gone there to look at the wondrous beauty that is there. And you're standing on the edge. You're looking at this gorgeous sight. And you're seeing all the wonder that is before you. And you know it's wondrous, and you know it's beautiful. You've seen the postcards, you looked it up on the internet, you've talked to friends that have gone. But it's, it, it needs to have something else. And need, there's something that needs to grab you. It, you can't have this, this encounter, this interaction with the Grand Canyon that somebody else's. You can't make it your own, you have to have it yourself. I think that's sometimes the way we come to Scripture. 
We look over here and we see someone who really loves Scripture. They're in it all the time and they just get this, this vibe, such joy, such encouragement out of it. And we go to it and we look at it and we, we don't get that same thing. And we ask, it seems when we're asking God open our eyes, we're not really asking him to open our eyes. We're asking him more, change Scripture. Let me find something that nobody else has ever seen before. Let me make it my own. Let me, let me be the person that, that gets this new doctrine that's never been found before. Let me get something really special today. And we're asking for the reverse thing. I'm not sure that's exactly what we're asking, but I think kind of in our heart of hearts, in our minds, that's, where we're, that's how we're approaching it. But we should be approaching it. Here is a wondrous, glorious thing. And open my eyes. Let me change that I can see what is truly there. There's a um, the story that has been told of a young man who's in a lab. And the man, it's a true story, and his professor comes in and says, study the fish. And the man studies the fish, he looks at it and thinks, well, that's a, that's a fish. And it's not in water, it should be in water, and just kind of sits there and looks at it. And nothing happens. So, the professor comes in the next day and says, what did you learn? The man said, well, it's a fish. And it's out of water. It should be in water, etc., etc., etc. And the guy said, no, study the fish again. So he goes away. And this happened for a couple of days. The professor comes back, says, study it. The man doesn't see much and then goes away. The professor finally comes back and says, why don't you draw the fish? So the guy begins drawing this fish and all of a sudden begins undercovering scales. And as he realizes the depth of these scales and how it works, his eyes begin to be opened. Did the fish change? No, the fish never changed. But as he saw deeper of what was truly there. And that's the same thing that we see in Scripture here. Open my eyes that I may behold, that I may become more like you, wondrous things out of your law. Let's go to 3 John 11. Let's start with a, a warning about this wondrous things. We'll start with a warning and then we'll go to some of the wondrous things. Third John verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. For whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Now we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers, rulers of this dark world. But if we do not, if we cannot behold God within the wondrous scriptures that we have, then we would be evil. We cannot behold it ourselves. It's not something that we can do. That's why there's just got to be this prayer. God, you've got to open my eyes. You've got to have, there's this pleading here by the psalmist. Lord, you've got to open my eyes or I cannot, I cannot become like you. And if I do not become like you, as Mark Roslowski said, Hebrews 12, without holiness, we shall not see God. We've got to have this becoming, but we cannot have the becoming unless we've got the beholding. So it's not just God, open my eyes, I'm going to stand here. If you were blind and you wanted to see the Grand Canyon, you wouldn't pray, God, open my eyes that I can see the Grand Canyon, and then you'd go to Florida. No, you'd go to the Grand Canyon and you'd be praying, God, open my eyes. Same thing. We go to Scripture and we've got to go every day. God, open my eyes. But we're going to have to be there so that when he does open his eyes, open our eyes, we can see it. Let's go to verse 19. It all ties together here. I am a sojourner on the earth. 
We think of the song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This world is not our home. We are a sojourner. We're passing through this earth. And so then you're going to have to plead, hide not your commandments from me. God, you've got to open my eyes so that I can see your commandments so that I, because this world is not my home. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going, I'm bound for glory land. So open my eyes that I can see those things that are innate to my actual home, which is not here in glory land. Verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Now this, this, consume, this word consumed here in the English Standard Version, if you break it down in the Hebrew, it comes out a little better in the King James. My soul breaks for the longing, breaketh for the longing that it hath into thy judgments at all times. There's this, this passionate, desirous longing to know God to such an extent that there's a weight that breaks your heart. And I confess, this is completely foreign to me. To have such a passionate desire to know God and to know His Scripture that your heart is heavy and breaking. We, we think, the, think the nearest thing we could get to that is here's a young lady who's in love with a young man, vice versa, and the relationship doesn't go forward and there's this, there's this broken heart. There's a love that was dashed and there's actually a physical sickness that can come on. You're depressed and you might be losing weight and you're, you're saddened by this person that you love so much that you desired to be with and then it didn't go through. And so you're, they say your heart, your heart breaks. My heart might have a broken heart. And that's the exact same thing we're looking at in Scripture. That you have such a love relationship with Christ that your heart breaks if you do not know him to the extent that you would desire my soul is consumed, my whole soul breaks with longing for your rules at all times. And really, I think what we're talking about here is, what is your desire? Where do your desires lie? What do you do all the time? Notice there, for your rules at all times. It's not just on Sunday morning, just on Saturday night, or just on Monday morning when I review the sermon. No, at all times, my soul is longing for you. What is the longing of your soul at all times? I had a conversation with a man in a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about some idols, and he made the wise point that you know you have an idol in your life when you're willing to fight for it. So what desires in your life now are you willing to fight for? If we remove them, or young people, but your parents took them away, what would happen? Would you fight for it? Would you go kind of swing around them, make an end around run, try to figure out another way to satisfy that desire? Do you fight for it? What is the desire of your soul? This is what the psalmist is pointing out. And it is so much that he might, going back to verse 17 again, my soul is consumed, my soul desires this grace that I may serve you, and the only way I can serve you is that you would open my eyes, and the only way you're going to open my eyes is by your spirit, by that grace, because I'm not a sojourner on this earth, I'm bound for glory, and I must know your commandments, so that I might live in a way that would be pleasing to you at all times. Verse 21. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Now when we first read this, the, the thought might be, well, this is the others. And it is. This is the wicked. These are the people who do not know God. We look there in verse 21 in the King James Version. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed which do err from thy commandments. God hates the proud. He gives, he loves the humble. So we can't just say, well, that's, 
those over there, and that's not us. We've got to take this introspective. We've got to take this into our own life and say, Lord, where in my life am I proud? Where am I not like you? And God is a humble God. You rebuke, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. I'm sorry, God is not humble. Jesus Christ is humble. God doesn't have anything to be humble to, to except for himself. Jesus Christ was humble here on this earth. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Now you see there the, the progression. If you're proud, and this, happens, this can happen to us as well. If you're proud, you're going to wander from God's commandments. So if you've got pride in your life, if I've got pride in my life, and it's unchecked, it's unfettered, it's going to eventually lead me away from God's commandments. I could be in Scripture all day long, but if I'm not allowing this to sink deep in, if I'm becoming a proud person, I will eventually wander from God's commandments. Pride leads to wandering. Hebrews 12, let's go to Hebrews 12. I like the word rebuke there because we do tend toward that pride as well. We fight against that. Pride of life, one of the three things that we can see in Scripture for sure that we fight against, the pride of life. But we see in Hebrews 12 that we have a loving Heavenly Father. Verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. So you can know, if you're being chastened, if you're being rebuked, if you're being uh, disciplined by the Lord, heed the warning. Heed the warning. He's trying to bring you back from that wondering and allow you to come back to where he desires you to be. We see in scripture there. The lines have fallen about me in goodly places. The boundaries. The disciplines have fallen about me in a place that are good for me. And in this society we want to shuck everything off. Be our own man. Don't want any help. No accountability. Allow me to do what I want to do. Nobody can tell me what I need to do. But in scripture we see. This accountability, the body of Christ, this coming around is a wondrous thing that can keep us from wondering. And when we venture outside, the la- outside of that, our loving Heavenly Father will often do whatever He needs to do to bring us back into, within, into His fold. Verse 22. Now this is a mirror of verse 21. So 21 is what we don't want to be. Here we have a, a mirror of verse 22. Uh, in verse 22 we have the mirror of 21. We don't want to be proud. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Scorn and contempt are very tough things to endure. When we have people in our lives who are lashing out at us, speaking evil against us, that's very hard. We see that in Matthew 5 that we're blessed for those, the, the people who are blessed are those who are persecuted. Let's go to Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So persecution is something that we know is going to happen. 
if we're following Christ, and we know it's a good thing, but is it easy? No. And we want it taken away from us. One of the, one of the reasons why we want it taken away from us is Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And we desire a good name. And when somebody is slandering us, when somebody is scorning against us, when someone's holding us in contempt, that can really defame a good name. We desire a good name, not for ourselves, obviously, but for the glory of the Lord. So here the psalmist is asking, take away from me scorn and contempt. This is a good thing, for I have kept your testimonies. Now notice what he's not saying here. He's not saying, give me the grace that I can go out and prove myself right. Prove them wrong, myself right. He's asking for God. God, I desire, by your grace, all the way back to verse 17, to keep your testimonies, to keep your word. And as I am keeping your word and keeping your testimonies, would you vindicate me? Would you show the world that what I'm keeping is true? That what I'm keeping is according to Scripture? Would you gain glory from this? So 21, we don't want to be proud. 22, we want to be humble. A humble man is not out there seeking to, hey, I was right. No, he's saying, God, look, I've got these people who are, are cursing me, these people who are holding me contempt. If I'm wrong, show me. But I'm seeking, by your grace, to keep your testimonies. Would you vindicate me? Would you allow your word, your way, to be seen as, as perfect? Let's go to 23. 23 and 24, last two verses in this section. 23, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. There is, it is one thing to know. It is one thing to, to have a fear of something that you're not quite sure is reality. You fear something that could happen, but you're not actually sure if it's going to happen. You, you may be sitting at home and you, you know you did something and you're, you did something in front of a crowd of people or a group of people and you're sitting at home thinking, oh man, what are they, what are they thinking? I, I really blew it and, and man, they're gonna, what are they th- thinking about me? And they've got this fear. It's a fear of man, it's wrong. But we've got this fear of actually what is being said. But we don't know what is actually being said. The group of people could have heard something and went, it just completely flew right over the top of them. And they go home and they're talking about how great the sunshine was. They... Don't even remember they ever saw you. But here's that person sitting at home thinking, oh, you know, how am I gonna how am I gonna straighten that out? That's one that's that's that can be difficult, but we can fight that with truth, going, we don't know what's gonna happen, all things work together for good, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But what's even harder is when you know what is happening. If you were in a car and you're driving, and all of a sudden your brakes go out, for an example, and you know you're gonna hit something, it's gonna hurt you know. It's coming, you know it. And you, you can begin to feel this. You can begin to brace yourself. But you know this is going to hurt. And that's the same thing we have here. This psalmist knows that there are people that are plotting against him. So the question for us, I think, is when we know something is going, some people are trying to do the wrong thing. We know something's bad going to happen. We know something that's going to happen that's outside of our control. What do we do? What do you revert to? Do you revert to God's ways of doing things? Or you say, this doesn't seem to be working. I'm bailing. I'm going back to whatever I can do to take control over the situation. Not the psalmist. Verse 23, even though princes sit plotting against me, comma, your servant 
will, will meditate on your statutes. It's going this way. Things are difficult. I can't control this, but I'm not going to bail. I'm going to stay with what I know to be true. I'm going to stay what I know. What I know. God says his word is true. It's, a, it's there for all seasons of life. I'm going to stay with that rather than bail and go my own route. The, there's so many applications that you could pull from this, this one verse of scripture. In the culture we live in, it's hemming us in. We have media, we have education, we have workplace, we have politics, we have the social sphere. All of it's changing, all of it's going down the tubes, and we're standing here, and the pressure's about us. Will you bend? We know that the princes, we know a lot of what's happening in Washington today are people plotting against the ways of God. Will you bail on it? Are you going to change your ways of doing things just because that's going to hurt and you don't want to go? Uh, you don't want to get hurt. You don't want to be mocked and rebuked. Are we going to stay with the same standards? I'm not saying we're going legalistic here, but are we going to stay the same standards according to Scripture? Are we going to bend to the culture? There's so many things that could be pulled out of 23. But you can often know how firm your foundation is when the winds come. When you know they're coming, you'll often know how firm your foundation is. Because are you going to bail on that foundation? If you bailed on it, you're built on the wrong foundation. But if you understand the foundation they're standing on, God alone, Christ alone is our sure foundation, then nothing can shake us. Your servant will meditate on your statutes. Let's go to 24. In closing here, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Now here we have the psalmist again uh, mimicking the last verse in the previous section. Look with me to verse 16. Last verse 8 of the previous section, second section. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 8 of the third section. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. We can know that God's word is going to be a encouragement to us in hard times. And it's going to direct us when we need directing. So it's not going to just delight us. It's also going to counsel us. That word counsel there is not um, standing before a bunch of people and they're telling you what you should do. The word counsel here in the Hebrew really means a close friend. Somebody that's a really close confidant. You're going to somebody that you highly respect, that you can share your heart with. And they will be able to give you wise counsel. Your testimonies, your word, are my delight. They are my counselors. Now I think 24 bookends with 17. And let me show you how I think this happens. How they come back together. If you are going to take counsel from somebody that you delight in. You're going to in some ways have to submit yourself to what they're saying. Now go back to verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. If we're going to submit ourselves to the lordship of God in every area of our life, that er that his word can counsel us. But if we fail to commit ourselves to his lordship in every area of our lives, you cannot expect scripture to be the counsel that you need because you're not going to want that counsel. Because you haven't submitted yourself to that leadership. Deal bountifully. This is why the psalmist, I believe, opens with this and then in some ways ends with this. Give me grace. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. We're going to find delight and counsel in that which we submit to. 
We look for, when we submit ourselves to something, we're looking to delight in it. It may not always be easy to delight in it, but we know that in the long run, it's the best thing for us. If you made a New Year's resolution, I'm going to get in shape. Is getting in shape easy? No, especially if you're not in shape. So you're submitting yourself to some sort of workout program. You're waking up every morning. You're eating the right foods. Is it easy? No. But you're submitting yourself to it. What happens as you submit yourself to it? Eventually, all of a sudden, you see things beginning to change. And you begin to delight in what you're submitting yourself to. It's the same way in Scripture. Now, when you initially submit yourself to Scripture, it is not easy. In fact, it's quite difficult. Because as you submit to it, it's going to go deep. God, by His grace, is going to open your eyes. And He's going to begin revealing things that are not pretty to look at. And you're going to begin having to change those things. But as you can do that, you begin to see how important that is for your soul. And you can begin to delight in it. Psalm 119, 17 through 24. I think really is a a section of scripture here that we can look at and consider our hearts and say, do I delight in God enough that I am willing to submit myself to his lordship enough that I'm willing to plead for his grace enough that he might open my eyes that I might honor and please him. And that's a very difficult thing to pray. But here the psalmist is praying it. And I hear, I believe, is what we need to be praying. If you want to be like Christ, we've got to submit ourselves to him. If you want to have the word become rich and open to you, you've got to submit yourself to it. And when we submit ourselves to it, or as we read through it, we've got to be reading it through it with the the prayer, Lord, give me grace. Open my eyes. There is beauty here. You've said there's beauty. You know, there's one thing that when you know a flower is beautiful, there's another thing when you can see that the flower is beautiful. We know Scripture is wonderful. It says it all through Scripture. Job 37. Let's go quickly to Job 37. Job 37, verse 14. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. And then Elihu begins to go on through and show God's amazing creation to Job. Stop and consider the wondrous work of God. We know that God, we we can know in our mind that God is wondrous. That his creation is wonderful. That he's beautiful. That what he says is true. But we've got to have to plead for that to sink from our mind to our heart. Because until it seeks from our mind to our heart, until the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, it won't change us. Because as John Piper says, beholding is becoming. Until we can see with our eyes, not just with our mind. J.I. Packer wrote an entire book on this, Knowing God. It's not just knowing knowing who God is, it's knowing God personally. So until our eyes of our hearts can see God, there's not going to be a change in your life. So if you're looking at your life and you're thinking, man, why, what are these areas? We're going to have to go introspective here. We're going to have to look inside and go, well, it may be that I need to plead for more grace. I need to submit myself in some areas because my, if, my eye, if the eyes of my heart are not beholding, there's no way you can become. Your physical eyes can see the beauty of creation, but it will not change you unless it's something that is deep within. I believe that is our prayer. I believe that should be our prayer this morning. Let's pray.
Lord, we see here in Scripture that there is nothing that we can bring to the table that is going to make us good apart from you. We can study creation. We can study scripture. We can listen to sermons. We can read good books. We can read scripture. We can meditate on scripture. But Lord, until you send your grace to open the eyes of our hearts, there is, there is nothing that can, can truly happen here. So we plead for more grace. That as we would seek to obey you and submit ourselves to your leadership, your lordship in every area of our lives. As we stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, so to speak, and we're praying, Lord, open the eyes of our heart. We would pray, Lord, as we would obey, that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts. That we might truly behold you in your glory. That we might behold you as Isaiah did. And cry out, holy, holy, holy. And we don't cry out, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. Woe is me, I am undone. And we might truly behold you as you are. And then as we behold you, we could become more like you. Father, keep us humble. Keep us humble, Lord, that we might not see ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But we might see ourselves in the light of a holy God. And delight to serve you as our King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, I thank you for the, the wonders of Scripture. And I, I plead, Father, that whatever was said this morning might not be coming from my lips, but might be spoken through me, through your word, that your word may not return void. We see that as a promise, but we trust that. But now I would pray, Lord, for that boldness to take whatever you've shown us or will show us this day and apply it to our, our daily lives, a minute-by-minute basis of walking with you. Oh, it's so easy to sit here and, and read Scripture. But it's another thing to, to take it home when no one's watching and make that application. And that's what we desire, Lord. Is that lordship of our lives that happens no matter where we are and who we're with. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you in advance for the grace that you will give. We love you, Father, and we pray, Lord, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to a Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship audio presentation.